So we're talking about thankful, being thankful, um, and, uh, and there's this really good quote that was in like a New York Times article about the power of being thankful, the power of gratitude, um, and, and it goes like this, cultivating an attitude of gratitude has been linked to many positive things, which isn't really going to be surprising to you. It's better health, sounder sleep, less anxiety and depression, higher long-term satisfaction with life, a kinder behavior towards others. Some of you need that including romantic partners, men, women, are you listening, including romantic partners? Gratitude can go a long way to, you know, building a relationship. Is that not the most shocking thing you have ever heard before? Thank you. No. Right. It, it, yeah. This is not, not terribly shocking. It's not rocket science, right? If you, if you are in a relationship or you have friendships, um, a key part of feeling loved and cared for is gratitude, Right? But then if it's not there, if there's an absence of gratitude, things in the relationship tend to go negative. So for a few minutes today, and then we're going to do a baptism, which is going to be great. I thought it would be really good to talk not about gratitude today. We'll talk more about gratitude next week. But to talk about ingratitude or the lack of gratitude. Because... If you talk about ingratitude, we have the opportunity um, to talk about these moments when you do something nice for someone. I mean, just kind of think about your week, just this week, this past week. You know, that moment where you did something nice, you came through on a project, you finished something up, you know, you opened up your home, you gave someone a ride, you helped somebody out financially, you paid for someone's meal, you know, something like that. And nobody said, thank you. Have you ever had that happen to you before? Like this past week? where you didn't feel appreciated by your boss, or you didn't feel appreciated by your spouse, you felt a degree of ingratitude. And it's frustrating, right? It's infuriating, in fact. Especially when someone acts like, is this not the worst? Especially when someone doesn't say thank you, but on top of that, they act like they deserved it. Like you owed them. Like you were just supposed to do it without any form of, thank you or gratitude in return. I mean, I don't know about you. This, I'm just speaking personally for me, but that is one of the fastest ways to get me from like calm and collected to blood boiling. It certainly is the fastest way to get me to fairly dry sarcasm. You know, like I walk away and you didn't say thank you. And I say something either out loud or in my mind to the effect of you're welcome. You know, thanks so much. I look forward to helping you again. You know, yeah. Yeah. You guys know, right? But the, the bummer is, like, it could have been a real relationship moment, like a positive for the relationship when you say to someone, hey, thank you so much, but then it doesn't happen and the relationship suffers, right? The, the love in the relationship disappears. In fact, it goes negative. And Jesus actually had this happen, I'm sure, a number of times, but there's at least one really clear moment when there is not a sense of gratitude given, so Jesus is on his way, he's traveling, and he's trying to avoid crowds, because at this point in Jesus' ministry, um, a lot of people are following Jesus, a lot of excitement around Jesus, and so crowds, you know, he wanted to help people, he wanted to teach people, but also crowds could prevent you from getting to where you wanted to go, and, and, and so there was all these moments where Jesus kind of escaped from the crowds, and so Jesus is strategically traveling in a way to avoid crowds, and here's what it says in Luke chapter 17. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus, Jesus traveled along the border between between Samaria and Galilee, the place between, you know, not so, the, like, 
the not so Jew, Jewish people, Samaritans, and the really good, pure Jewish people, okay? And the border was the space where nobody wanted to be, okay? Because nobody wanted to intermingle. And so Jesus was traveling that probably to avoid the crowds. And as he was going into the village, there was coming up on a village, as he was going into the village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Now, leprosy is something that we don't have to deal with so much today. Um, Fun fact for you, 95% of us, it's estimated, are actually immune to leprosy. It's still a disease that you can get. It's a bacterial infection, but it was really rampant back in those days. And it it was actually a terrible disease, not in just the pain that it caused and the damage that it caused to the, to the body because it would you know, create lesions on the skin, it, it would cause nerve damage, it would lead to blindness in, in some cases, um, and in some cases even death. Um, and it was a very slow progressing disease, so it wasn't overnight. It was you saw a lesion and you hoped it'd go away, but then it got worse and got worse and eventually you started losing feeling in your hand, eventually went blind. It was just, it was just a really bad deal. But um, in those days, people you know, didn't understand bacteria and they didn't understand how diseases transmitted because in fact leprosy is a really hard disease to transmit to somebody like you'd be sitting next to someone right now who has leprosy and you probably wouldn't get it okay but anyways in those days they would make sure everybody stayed pure and clean and obviously if you had skin ailments and a disease you wouldn't be clean and so they wanted to keep you at isolation so they would push you out of the community if it was discovered that you had leprosy. So imagine one day, let's say tomorrow, you woke up and you had some sores on your arm. It is completely realistic in those days that you could in one day be removed completely from your family, your spouse, your kids, your job, your coworkers, and move to a camp that you were going to live in for the rest of your life with other lepers, unless by some miraculous moment, event, you were healed. And so it it was terrible, terrible disease, not just for what it did to your body, but what it did for your life. It destroyed your life. And so these 10 men must have heard that Jesus was coming. And so they came up to him. Luke says that they stood at a distance and they called out in loud, loud voice because that's what you're supposed to do as a leper. You can't get close to, you know, clean people. Jesus, master, have pity on us. Jesus, can you help us out? Can you what? Heal us. Because they've heard this good news about Jesus that, that he was creating, uh, doing miracles and, and helping people. And so they said, can you heal us? Because what did they want? They not only wanted to feel better, but they wanted their life back. They wanted to see their kids. They wanted to see their family. They wanted to go to Thanksgiving-ish. I mean, they didn't have Thanksgiving. You get what I'm saying. You know, they just wanted to be with their family. They actually wanted to be with their family, even that crazy uncle or cousin, okay? They wanted to be together. And so Jesus was gonna help them out. And Jesus wasn't just gonna help them out in a normal way. Jesus was gonna challenge them, okay? Jesus was going to challenge them in faith. It was a faith challenge, and here's what he did. He, said, he saw them and he said, go show yourselves to the priests because this is how you get reincorporated back into society if by some miracle you were healed of leprosy is you had to go to the priest and you had to say to the priest, hey, I'm clean. And the priest would look you all over top to bottom and say, yeah, indeed you are clean and you can go home, which was amazing. But the thing is at this moment, they're not clean. They still have leprosy. And so Jesus is effectively challenging them to go to the priests, even though they are diseased. Jesus is challenging them to trust him, to go and take an action on something that they didn't know how it was going to work out. 
They didn't know what would happen next. But they were just going to have to take it on faith. And this could be, I mean, there's probably a half dozen sermons that could easily be written on this passage alone. So I have to just make this one comment. Isn't that what most of us struggle with when it comes to Jesus? Like pride won't, our pride won't let us trust him enough until we have proof. Like we'll pray that prayer. We'll say, Jesus, if, if you could just give me a sign that you exist, you know, just prove that you exist. And then I will follow your commands then I will trust you. Then I will have faith and I will go to the priests and show them, but I'm not going to put my reputation on the line showing up all dirty and mangled and, and expecting the priest to give me the okay. When I'm looking at my body and it's like, Jesus, I'm not healed. But our pride won't let us do that. Our pride sometimes too often won't let us trust him. And Jesus sometimes is saying to us, sometimes you have to walk with me. And when you do, you will begin to trust me. Sometimes trust comes through action. Faith comes through action first, not the other way around. You'll find Jesus along the journey, along the way. So what did the 10 do? They walked. And as they went, they were cleansed. Wouldn't that be crazy? Like you're just walking along and you see your diseased hands and they start to heal and by the time you get to the priest, you're feeling the best you've ever felt. You know that in this moment, your life is going to completely change from this point forward, that you're gonna get your family back. You're gonna get your job back. You're gonna get your life back. I mean, this is an amazing, powerful moment for these people. If you've ever been sick and you've ever gotten to the place where your disease was healed, it feels good. It is a relief. That's what they were feeling. And they're cleansed and all is good. So how many of them come back to Jesus, find Jesus, seek him out to say thank you? One of them. In fact, let's say this together, this right here. How many of them? One. Yeah, wow, that was really good. Okay, wow, that's kind of creepy, okay. Um, yeah, usually you guys are like, one, and then you're like, one. Okay, I don't know if you did it online, but it was creepy in the room. Okay, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus is trying to make a point here that not all, you know, essentially like you may be a good Christian, but it doesn't mean you're, you know, sometimes even the bad Christians can be better Christians than the good Christians. Does that make sense? Um, because these were like the not good Jews, okay? And the not good Jew was the guy who came back and thanked Jesus. He said, thank you. And Jesus, this is why I think God has like a sarcastic sense of humor, okay? Because of what Jesus says next. I mean, the Bible is actually really funny. You just have to kind of like put yourself in the context and understand the situation. Watch Jesus' sarcasm. Here we go. Jesus said, we're not all 10 cleansed. <laughs> Doing the math here. This is like a story problem, by the way, okay? If I healed 10 and one came back, where did the other nine go? Yes, the son of God couldn't count, apparently. No, he was being sarcastic, just like I do, okay? Maybe that just makes me a better Jesus follower because I get sarcastic when people don't extend gratitude. I don't know. But that's what Jesus said. He knew the answer. But what's God's point? What's God trying to say? Hey, gratitude is a great relationship builder. 
Do you think they forgot about Jesus, those nine? Did they th- do you think they forgot about the fact that he changed their life? No, of course not. I bet if you would have gone and caught up with those nine guys and you would have said, hey, tell me about Jesus, they would have been like, oh my gosh, he's amazing. He healed me, he changed my life, he got my life back together. I am so grateful to him. And you would have said, well, did you tell him that? And they would have said, no. Sounds like Christians, doesn't it? So many blessings, especially in the Western world, so many blessings, and we're not very grateful about it. What's Jesus' point? Jesus is saying gratitude matters. Gratitude matters to God, creator of the universe. He says gratitude is a key part of the relationship. And when ingratitude seeps into that relationship, even the Son of God can get a little sarcastic. Our hearts need to show appreciation, take time and energy and thought and resources to say thank you, to be grateful even to God. I want to introduce to you a real simple concept, okay, real simple concept. It's called the circle of gratitude, and it's a circle, and it works like a circle, When someone does something nice and kind for you, imagine you get halfway around the circle. To complete the circle, to complete the circle of gratitude, you have to extend gratitude, and it completes the circle. But ingratitude means the buck stops here, and the rest of the circle isn't complete. It's not a circle anymore. It's just a sideways arch. And that's not very cool. It's not a circle. You have to complete the circle of gratitude for it to be a circle, which I'm sure those nine guys who got healed would say, oh yeah, I appreciate them, but they didn't complete the circle. And what does unexpressed gratitude communicate? What does unexpressed gratitude communicate? It communicates ingratitude. It says, I'm not grateful, even if you are. And ingratitude is not a neutral thing. I think sometimes it's like, well, we just didn't complete the circle, so you know, nothing really happened. No, it's a negative. It hurts the relationship. It counts against you, and it counts against your relationship. In fact, I would go so far as to say, and I think you would agree with this, unexpressed gratitude is a form of rejection. Like, you feel rejected when someone doesn't appreciate you when you do the right thing, when you care, when you go out of your way. I'm not saying go out of your way just to get appreciation because Jesus did a whole lot for a lot less uh, gratitude sent his way, you know? He sacrificed a whole lot with very little gratitude sent his way. But effectively, it's a form of rejection. You don't feel cared about. You don't feel valued. And we see that the most sometimes, right? We understand, we know the power of gratitude when it's absent. When it's absence, that, that's when we really appreciate gratitude. We know when it's not present, present, we know the difference maker it could be. And this is, this is Jesus' life and ministry saying to all of us, listen, let's not be absent. Let's not be absent with our gratitude. Let's return to the source of the kindness. Let's return to the source of of the nice act or the generous act and say, thank you. Let's complete the circle of gratitude. In the big things especially, 
but even more so in the small things. Because I think for most of us, like if somebody walked up and you know, wrote us a million dollar check, we'd probably say thank you, hopefully. I mean, I'm just hoping. Okay, you'd say thank you, right? You'd say thank you. But it's in the small moments that we take for granted. It's in the small moments when gratitude is absent. And it makes a difference over time. I know it makes a, a noticeable difference in, in Steph and my marriage. When I am not grateful for even the small things, it hurts the culture of our marriage. It hurts the nature of our relationship in those small things. And it's not just that, because we have children. And so when I'm not being grateful or we don't have an, a culture of gratitude in our house, our kids see that. And I'm actually really proud because generally speaking, our kids say thank you all the time. Please, a little harder, but thank you a lot. Even the two-year-old, and I've been really grateful for that. So, so let's return to the circle of gratitude. And I get it, it's hard to say thank you sometimes, okay? It's kind of like a Christmas gift, right? You have to be really intentional with a Christmas gift. I don't know, maybe you are a great gift finder. I struggle with gifts, okay? I have to work really hard at it. I have to think really hard at it. It's kind of like that. Sometimes gratitude, you have to really work at it. It doesn't come naturally, and you have to be okay with that. And we're going to talk about that in week three of this series. We're going to give you some really practical steps to show appreciation, to help you think in those terms. Sometimes you got to think outside the box to show appreciation. But it is way, way better to show appreciation and gratitude than for it to be absent, and in Christianity, we're supposed to do this all the time. We're supposed to do this all the time because, not because we have to, not because we're checking a box, like maybe you and I grew up in those church environments where it was all about checking the boxes, you, because, you know, why do we do this thing? Well, because we've always done it, you know, because the pastor said so, or we're just supposed to, or the Bible says so. No, the, the best answer in Christianity for why we do kind things, why we're generous, why we're patient, why we're merciful, why we're, we're generous, is because we're, we're, we were loved first, because we are just so grateful for everything that we have, we can't help but respond and share that with others. So why do we have a Sunday service? Well, for a Christian, it's because we wanna show gratitude. Why do we worship? Because we wanna show gratitude. Why do we have small groups? Because we wanna show gratitude to God and to those around us. Why do we play music? Why do we get together? Why do we do events? Because we're just so grateful. Why do we put on free events? Because we're just so grateful. And we wanna share that with others. It's why right now we're in the middle of our Be Rich campaign. It's a thing that we do all month long in November. It's called Be Rich. And we raise a bunch of money and then we give it all away. 100% of everything that you give, we just give it all away to nonprofit and organizations and causes that will make a difference to help a hurting world. And so this year, our goal was to raise $10,000 or is to still raise $10,000, okay? And to give it all away. And last week we had Alex and Trisha here and they talked about what they do in Indonesia. And it's just absolutely incredible. And why do we help? Why do we serve? It changes lives, but ultimately, in a way, it's because we're grateful. It's because we're grateful. We have uh, a couple individuals that stepped up and said they are gonna, together, they're gonna match $4,000 of everything that you give dollar for dollar, and there's still matching left to give to reach our $10,000 goal. So every dollar you give is going to be matched dollar for dollar to the $10,000 goal. Why do they do that? Well, I think just because they've been given so much, they just want to give too. 
and they want to inspire you all to give more. We got one week left of this to raise the $10,000. We're getting close, but we're not there yet. And so if you have questions on Be Rich, I, I really recommend going to our website, Infuse.Church, and you can go to Infuse.Church slash Be Rich, or there's a link right on the front of the website. You can learn all about the campaign and what we're trying to do. And, and I realize for some of you, you just plan your year. I've had a number of people just say, I know every November we just plan for Be Rich because we're excited to give to these projects to help kids with disabilities, to help kids get to school, to help kids in Haiti eat because they can't get fuel, which means they can't get trucks there to get food there, which means fuel, food prices go through the roof. And so if we are sitting here having a luscious Thanksgiving dinner, okay, with stuffing and turkey and everything in between and all the fixings, okay, right? Shouldn't we maybe cut back a little bit so we can help those who don't? Because as Christians, we're just grateful. And in kids, this year we added the kids component. So in kids, parents in the kids area, they're, they're raising money too to help cover one uh, um, uh, 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 orphans um, food for the, for the year, and their goal is to raise a little over $400, and they've so far, uh, I think we got a picture, um, yeah, they've uh, to for, raised $425, you guys got this card when you came in, uh, I think a few weeks ago, and I, it, parents, most of you parents got an email this week, so far the kids have raised $122, and today there's another individual that stepped up and said, hey, I want to help parents talk to their kids about generosity, and I'm going to match every dollar that's given today towards um, Danica's um, fundraiser towards the $425 that, that we're raising um, for, for her in Bethel Orphanage, which is the orphanage in Haiti that we help out with, along with the church in Minnesota, um, to, um, to feed the kids and educate the kids throughout the year. And so that's what your kids are doing. So I really hope that you will take this opportunity to talk to your kids this week about gratitude. Talk to them about sacrifice. Talk to them about generosity. What does it really mean? And on this card, if you got it when you came in, I think there's some cards down there. It has some talking points to have you help talk to your kids about generosity. Because wouldn't it be amazing if we raised up a next generation of kids who it's just normal for them to be generous. It's normal for them to help in a hurting world, to be a light in a hurting world. I think that would just be an incredible game changer. And so I really encourage you to consider our Be Rich campaign this week, but I really encourage you to be grateful. I really encourage you to recognize the moments we have to be grateful. One of the other things we do as a church, um, as Christians, to show our gratitude is baptism. We take time to celebrate a baptism, an outward symbol of an inward decision to follow Jesus. And what is baptism? Baptism is a moment in someone's life where they say, listen, God, you have done so much for me. I, I recognize your love for me in here. I want to show it out here. And the way that Jesus taught us to do that was to get baptized, to get dunked in water, to die with him, because you can't breathe underwater, and to come back to life, just like he did. It's a symbolic sign of following Jesus. And the love is so great in here that you just want to show it out here because you're so grateful for it. Baptism is a step of completing that circle. Generosity is a step of completing the circle of gratitude. I'm so grateful for all that I have. I'm going to help those who don't. I'm so grateful, God, for all you've done in my life that I'm going to go public with my faith through baptism and share my story and share how grateful I am. 
So I hope today, as you go out in your week, you'll be seriously contemplating, especially over Thanksgiving, completing that circle of gratitude. But right now, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate Brittany's baptism. And that involves a couple things. One, um, the middle school kids are in with us, students are in with us, and we're going to have our uptown kids come in with us. So if your child is K through fifth grade in our uptown environment, if that's where you drop them off, you're going to pick them up in this room after service today because they're going to come in to watch the baptism today um, because... um, we just think that's a great conversation starter to understand this moment, because I don't know about you, but when I grew up in church, that was not something that was really done, because we just had infant baptism, and so we never really you know, got to talk about or hear why someone actually wants to follow Jesus, okay? So they're going to be here in service. You're going to pick them up here, okay? And so what we're going to do is we're going to show a video um, that kind of introduces the concept of baptism. Then you're going to hear Brittany's story, and then you're going to watch Brittany, Brittany get baptized, okay? And then when she does and she comes out of the water, usually we celebrate. And so if you need to cheer, hoop, holler, clap, yay, you know, let that come out at that moment, all right? And we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to wrap up today's service, okay? So um, with no further ado, Here's baptism. Brittany Stepp. I've been going to church since I can remember. Every Sunday and Wednesday as a kid we'd go to church. At the age of 12 I accepted Christ as my Savior, but I didn't fully understand the commitment. I thought saying I believed in Christ was good enough. So long as I didn't do bad things, I wouldn't go to hell. What I didn't understand is Christianity is way more than behavior. It's about trust. And I didn't yet know what it meant to have a relationship with Christ, to trust Jesus. Because there wasn't a relationship at first, it was difficult to behave the right way. I became pregnant at the age of 19, unmarried. This caused some turmoil between myself and the church that I grew up in. There was judgment from those who led the church and others in the church as well. I became angry with the people of the church because I felt like they were turning their back on me, like because of what I had done that I didn't matter. So I started to withdraw from the church. I only went on holidays like Christmas and Easter with my parents and eventually um, I went from being a teenage mom of one to a 24 year old mom of three. 
uh, living a life that in many ways was completely accepted by the world and actually celebrated with TV shows like 16 and Pregnant. And even though this lifestyle was acceptable to the world, I didn't feel accepted. I felt ashamed actually. Looking back, I realized I was trying to validate my worth by the relationships I was in. But those relationships would fail and I was left feeling worthless. Not good enough and like I was a failure. I was stuck in a cycle that led to disappointment and hurt. I started attending Infused Church after my mom invited me. It was back when the church was still meeting in a little coffee shop. I started attending more regularly and really enjoyed the messages each Sunday and how relatable they were to everyday life. Going back to church, I assumed there would be some judgment, single mom of three, not married, but instead of judgment, I found a church family with their arms open, willing and ready to accept me with my past and help me move forward in my relationship with Christ. I started volunteering with the Infused Worship Team and felt like I was moving forward in my faith, but still didn't really understand the connection to God that I was missing. Being a part of the church family made me feel good and that I had some worth. However, I still didn't feel worthy of God's love. What value could I have for him? How could he love someone like me who is not deserving after all the choices I made? While serving on the worship team at Infused, we went to a conference one weekend and I really felt God's presence there. One of the leaders at the conference prayed for a heart transplant, a metaphorical one, saying that if God is in the center of your heart, you will not be led astray. But it wasn't really until a year ago that I realized I had been measuring my worth by all the wrong things, by worldly measures. I was holding on to the sin and the shame of the life I was living and didn't allow myself to feel worthy of God's love. I hadn't allowed myself to fully trust God. Instead, I continued to trust myself, which meant still facing my decisions and my shame. I wasn't trusting him to take the burden and the weight of the life I had been living from me. I was blocking his communication and the relationship he wanted with me. I wasn't fully giving him everything to take care of and still trying to take care of things myself. I was just projecting an image and not truly living it. I needed to let him take my burdens, take the weight I was carrying and put him in the center of my heart. I needed a heart transplant. Once I realized that my past didn't define my value and his love for me was unconditional, my relationship with God began to blossom. I started praying more, sharing the love he has for me with others as an outward symbol of communication for him, and reading my Bible to be able to grow deeper in my faith and knowledge of him and to receive guidance on how to live. Old habits and the cycle of the constant need to be in any relationship to find my worth was broken. I'm becoming more dependent on God and in Him, I found that I was worthy of unconditional love. Baptism, the public declaration of this inward change, is my next step in my relationship with Christ.
My name is Brittany Stepp, and I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back.